One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Tune in Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Well, when Times Radio launched about a month ago, uh, we carried out a focus group to see what swing voters were saying. So in today's episode, we've carried out another one to see if there's been any change in the public mood. Now, this is apparently a government run by focus groups, spending record amounts on opinion polling to find out what you think. So what is Downing Street being told? To find out here on Times Radio Mid-Mornings, we have our very own focus group, regularly carried out by polling firm Kext CNC. The man in the hot seat asking the questions is James Johnson, who used to carry out exactly these sorts of focus groups for Downing Street. Morning, James. Morning. Uh, just explain, uh, because already, because I've been tweeting about this uh, session coming up, people have been saying, oh, what's the point? How do we know who these people are? How are they selected? What could... What can we possibly learn from six random uh, people? So just explain how this works and the value of focus groups. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not a substitute for an opinion poll. So it's not designed to be nationally representative, um, but it is designed to allow politicians, to allow political parties and companies to work out actually what how people are talking and thinking about things. So we'll go out and we'll recruit um, six to eight people um, who sort of match our recruitment of people we're really interested in. Now, in this case, we looked at swing voters. Uh, uh, so half of them voted Labour in December, half of them voted Conservative, um, who are now undecided um, across England. So we'll go out, we'll find those people, um, uh, recruit them, um, and then really uh, get their views. So yeah, not nationally representative, but there to really dig into those specific groups of people um, that are actually hard to reach in conventional polling. And also, you've been doing this for long enough, and I've spoken to other people who've worked in politics for many years as well. Uh, They have a value because sometimes one person, a focus group, really puts their finger on something. You know, there's lots of talk that Get Brexit Done was born out of a focus group. Uh, Strong and Stable was something which which, um, uh, got sort of looped back from focus groups as well. So there is a value uh, to them. In our first focus group last month, um, the swing voters we spoke to then were still pretty supportive of Boris Johnson and uh, thought he was doing a good job in difficult circumstances while Keir Stum was still to make his mark. In this month's focus group, excuse me, in this month's focus group, we'll hear from Sam, who's an IT analyst from Derbyshire, Ian, a retired business consultant from Berkshire, Paul, a retired sub-postmaster from Nottinghamshire, Cathy, a nursery manager in Berkshire, Joe, a recently graduated student in York, Louise, who works for the NHS in Yorkshire, and Leon, a personal trainer from Manchester. So there's a broad range of jobs and geography and ages as well. OK, let's start with how they think Boris Johnson is doing. I will tell. I think he's going to be judged in two years' time, three years' time. Not very well. Not very well, but um, I don't know. I just feel sorry for him, actually. But yeah, he's, he's not doing great at the minute. I wouldn't like to be in his shoes, but I don't think... 
<clears throat> I don't think he's acting as a great figurehead, really, because he never seems to have his hands on the detail. But I think he's, I'm, I'm fingers crossed that the people behind him are better than he is. He's not doing a great job. I think he had the country's support at the start, but now people are seeing that perhaps he's not the leader that we thought he was. A bit too many mixed messages, I think. I don't think he's been right since he got ill. He just looks shattered. He looks exhausted. He just looks ill. I don't think he's doing well, but I don't think he's doing bad. So, James, a bit of a mixed bag there, possibly verging on the more negative. This hints at a bit of a shift, doesn't it, given all the focus groups you've done? Yeah, and I think the thing really worth stressing here is that, you know, a lot of those voters had voted for Boris Johnson um, in December. So, you know, it's not like it was just the Labour uh, voters saying that. It was it was a real mix, including those uh, Conservative voters. Look, there's a big caveat to this. It's one focus group. Certainly when I was doing this job at 10 Downing Street, you know, you, you, know, you have always had ups and ups and downs. Um, so we should definitely keep monitoring this over time. And we'll see, obviously, how that comes out in our future focus groups as well. But look, with that caveat aside, yes, it does seem to be a shift. And that is because what's really sort of interesting about that is, is that the things that the people were criticising, um, his sort of believability, presence, his strength, and um, we saw that come through quite a lot, actually are, are often the, the things that they used to really like about Boris Johnson. So when I was doing the focus groups uh, through my own company in November, December, you know, around the time of the general election, those were the things they really liked, you know, this sense that Boris had this sort of force of presence, he had this believability, he had this oomph. And that seemed to be the thing that they were criticising. Now, that's important because, you know, that matters more. It's not just people sort of having a, you know, a bit of a go at Boris Johnson. It seems to be that those things they really liked are things they're getting less positive on. And, you know, that was a warning sign with Theresa May, right? You know, in the 2017 election, one of the things that people really liked about her was, um, you know, the fact she was seen as strong. And by the end, with that sort of, you know, tagline of weak and wobbly, um, that had really changed. And that took a really big hit to her brand. So it's early days. It's certainly salvageable. Um, but that is a dangerous shift to have for a politician and maybe a sign of things to come. Uh, just while we've been talking, somebody's texted in uh, pointing out, I said there was a broad range of geography, although everyone is in England. In part, that's because particularly during coronavirus, so much of it has di- uh, devolved. And we are hoping that we'll do one of these focus groups, particularly in Scotland in the in the next uh, month or so. So, yeah, we are aware. But, you, you know, if you had everyone shooting off in different directions, sort of like Nicola Sturgeon and Mark Drakeford are becoming even more uh, complicated. Now, interestingly, when you press them on uh, exactly how the government was coping with coronavirus, there still seemed to be a willingness to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's something that nobody's had to face before. It's something completely new. It's never happened before. So it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. You act on, on instinct, really, on instinct as things happen. I think they were slow in, in closing down. I think they've made a few mistakes earlier on. I think, well, I think they're doing the best they can in these circumstances. Nobody knows what's right or wrong at the minute, but it's just unprecedented times, as they keep telling us. And I'd hate to be in government shoes at this particular moment. Yeah, what you were pressing them on the on the detail, James, of of exactly what the government was doing. There was a recognition that this is just a really, really difficult time to be in charge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, from, from the government's point of view, you know, despite that sort of worst news on Boris Johnson, this will be something that clearly, you know, they'll be able to take comfort in. And this is something we've really seen since the start of the pandemic that really hasn't shifted at all. You know, this general benefit of the doubt, this general sense that, you know, look, things are really difficult. Anyone is really going to struggle with that. Um, so clearly that does give them a bit of political cover. Um, uh, but yeah, that seems to be the view of the population um, as a whole. Now that you then asked them what they thought the government's main slogan was. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I 
But go yeah. out, stay in. Yeah, <laughs> go out, stay in, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. <laughs> Stay two metres apart, stay one metres apart, see you mate. Well, can anybody say why, why it's gone from one, two metres to one metre all of a sudden? What's the logic in that? Yeah, but that wasn't great, was it? I mean, that, that's not getting the cut through of, uh, of stay alert. Uh, now, obviously, one of the big issues in today's news has been the question of reopening schools and Longworth Children's Commissioner for England saying getting people's back into lessons should be the priority, even if that ends up mean, uh, meaning shutting pubs and restaurants. James asked the focus group what they thought the priority should be. Reopen schools or be allowed to meet friends and family indoors? Uh, reopen schools. Reopen schools. Reopen schools, well. Reopen schools. Well, <laughs> that was pretty unanimous, unanimous there, James. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is the government clearly has, you know, very, uh, very clear backing. Um, for their priorities to reopen schools. I asked them as well, you know, as, as you heard there, you know, what that trade-off, you know, should be, you know, would they be happy if, if other restrictions had to come in, for example, on meeting people um, indoors? And really the whole group, including, you know, people in the group who weren't parents, um, were really clear on that. They talked about the mental health impact on children. Um, they talked about, uh, uh, you know, long-term impacts on children's education. Um, I think, you know, w- w- really the government, you know, if it brings in other restrictions, uh, if they need to bring in other restrictions to allow schools to open, it looks like they're going to have the public's backing on that. Uh, there's also been this big question of a public inquiry and when it should be. Uh, you asked them, uh, do we need to rake back over it all or is it time to move on? move on because holding an inquiry will cost millions of pounds for what we're going to gain from that i agree with what louise said and for the same reasons it'll take so long and everyone will just blame everybody else absolutely we need to move on but i think we need to learn from the mistakes that have been made move on and learn from it i would personally hold have an inquiry just so that if something like this happens again you know it could easily mutate or we could have another pandemic of some sort I think we need to move on and just take some learning from it and some next steps forward. Inquiry so we can learn from mistakes. There's a lot just wanted to move on, James. A sense that they just want to get COVID done. Yeah, well, I think I think you're I think you're onto something there. I think uh, this is again, you know, look, there was a bit of mixed views there, right? You know, there is a sense of get it done, but also the very people who are saying, you know, move on, are also saying, you know, let's learn the lessons. So, you know, there, there may well be, uh, you know, some appetite for 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 an inquiry there. But look, I think the important thing about this is is that these sort of the historic handling of the pandemic from the government, you know, whether on care homes, PPE testing. Um, I think what's really clear is that, you know, Labour attacking heavily on that might not really cut through with those voters. Um, It feels like they're going to be making their judgments on the Labour Party, on the Conservative Party, really on what they say, on what their vision of the country, uh, vision of the country in the future is, what they're going to do next, the future, uh, not the past. And look, there may well be in there um, uh, the makings uh, of a get COVID done narrative um, that the government, if it wanted to, uh, could fall back on and use because I think um, you know people are clearly uh, getting fatigued by it and uh, and want to talk about the future, not just the past. Um, that's uh, that's obviously might be welcome news to the government, but clearly uh, opens up quite a lot of questions for the Labour Party as well. Okay, then let's, let's move on to the opposition as you brought them up. Um, these are obviously swing voters. Some voted Labour last time, some voted Conservative last time. So let's hear what happened when you asked them about Keir Starmer. Well, I think he's definitely more electable than than. Jeremy Corbyn was. He's, he's, he's shown leadership. He's handled himself well in Parliament um, when he's come up against Johnson. So I think perhaps he's one to look for the future. I think when we did the elections way back when, I was unsure. So I can't, I can't remember who I voted for. I don't think 
I was to vote for Boris Johnson again, I don't, I don't think I would because I don't trust him, but I don't, wouldn't, I'm indifferent of who I'd vote for. I kind of agree there. Um, I mean, I, I did vote for Boris Johnson because um, I hated Jeremy Corbyn, basically. Now, <laughs> I'm a little bit unsure of where I'd go this time. I, I'm very glad that he's there instead of uh, Jeremy Corbyn, as others have said. But I don't know what he stands for. I don't really know. I didn't know what he stood for before during the whole Brexit thing, and I don't know what he stands for now. I have no opinion of what to say. To be honest with you, I've got no confidence in Boris. I've got no confidence in any of them. If you're still being called Keir What's-His-Face after four months in the job, is that a good sign, James? Uh, look, I mean, it's probably not. Um, but, you know, look, Keir Starmer's got time, right? He's able to, you know, try and build up his, his profile. The key thing is he's got permission to be heard. Um, and Corbyn never had that. And it's fascinating how, you know, the ghost of Corbyn, um, you know, clearly floats over these these voters. And, and you know, Keir Starmer is almost gets a default brownie point for the fact he's not Corbyn. Um, so look, Labour's clearly got permission to be heard with these voters. But yeah, look, there is uh, clearly, you know, more that Keir Starmer needs to do to get through to them. And I think what's pretty clear from this focus group, and I think we had this last time as well, is that Labour isn't really cutting through. They're not really sort of, you know, putting ideas um, and sort of, you know, new propositions and a new position on the table that voters are sort of waking up to and looking at. Maybe this is a sign that if you're sitting in Labour HQ at the moment, you need to be thinking, well, let's do some slightly more off-piste, wacky things. Let's get Keir Starmer out and about a bit more, not just the usual, you know, safe visits, but actually he needs to be a bit more punchy to get these voters' attention. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a there's a toss up, isn't there? It, it, he's got time until there's a general election, and lots of people on Twitter pointing out what's the point of a focus group now, and there's plenty of time to general election. However, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression often, and uh, how people uh, sort of come to view you early on, as Ed Miliband found, uh, the thing that you know that hung around his neck the whole time is this sense he'd sort of knifed his brother. Uh, that 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 stuck to him amongst voters far more than actually many people in Westminster. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. even though there's not an election for four, four years or so, you tried to force the issue and ask them uh, what they would do when presented with a direct choice between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. Do you know what? I don't know because I'm actually a bit of a hypocrite because I'm coming out with all this about Boris. Um, I don't know enough on the other person to give an opinion, but I'm sort of blaming Boris. But at the same time, I didn't sort of know enough about him anyway. I just voted for him because, like sort of just hearing conversations and things like that, he seemed to be the most popular that other people thought. So I think that really I should have looked into it a lot more than what I did. It's a tough question. Um, and as I said before, 
time will tell with Johnson. Okay. Not not now. It's gonna. It's the, the worst is yet to come. I mean, we've got to get through unemployment. The, the economy's got to get back on its feet again. And how quickly is that going to happen? Um, I'll be honest, James. I don't really know too much about Kerr apart from he sounds like a Bond villain. His name's just cooler, <laughs> but he, he has got a Bond villain sounding name. So I I can't really cast too much opinion on him to be honest, mate. Like I said, I'm indifferent, but I'm, do you know what? Boris looks shattered, so I'd probably vote Kia just to see if, he, if he's got any energy. <laughs> Should number 10 be worried about that, do you think? Um, uh, this idea, James, that Boris Johnson looks tired and at least Kia looks like he might have a bit more energy? Look, I think it links to what we heard about Boris earlier, you know, this slight sense of those things I think that number 10 view as, and certainly the public, Back in back at the last election, viewed as Boris's strengths, you know this sense of oomph, this sense of high energy, strength. He's going to get things done. Uh, that's what people repeated to me many many times, particularly in those uh, red wall red wall seats. Um, look, I think so. Clearly, that has had a bit of an impact. I think they feel like Boris might have sort of slightly lost his mojo. I think it's salvageable, and I think the really clear thing here is they're not sort of immediately changing over to Keir Starmer. I mean, there's also a good corrective here for um, sort of, you know, um, the Westminster bubble um, and politicians themselves that, you know, however much people might try and, you know, hone manifestos and work out how to attract these voters, you know, that lady there really did say she was just making up her mind, uh, you know, based on whether someone someone looked a bit looked a bit tired. So, look, there's, there's, some, there's some caution here, um, and but it does feel like that reputation is slightly shifting. The other thing to say about Keir Starmer um, is actually the absence of what was discussed, which is that although they don't really know about him and they're not really taken by him, and you know, apart from that his name sounds like a Bond, a Bond villain, um, they <laughs> don't have particularly strong views, there's no strong negative coming through. Um, there's not a sense of weakness. I know uh, number 10 of sort of, you know, in PMQs, Boris Johnson has tried to make this point that he's maybe flip flops a lot. Um, that doesn't really seem to be there. Nobody's criticising him for being a lawyer or being, you know, elitist or anything like that. So Labour can take that from this, that yes, it's a yes, he's not really registering but he is still largely a blank slate with these voters. In fact, when we uh, did the focus group last month, the overwhelming message was it was probably a positive he was a lawyer. And then soon after that, uh, Boris Johnson stopped attacking uh, Keir Starmer for being a lawyer um, at PMQs. And in fact, I know the Labour Party listened to our last um, uh, focus group and were were quite um, intrigued by some of the findings from it. So I'm glad that we're helping everyone out. That's proper public service uh, broadcasting. We should uh, should point out there was one politician who particularly impressed uh, the panellist, Sam. The one person that probably would get my attention when they do talk now is Rishi Sunak. I think it's just captivating to watch because he's just such a good public speaker. Detailed, he explains everything. To be described as captivating to watch, I mean, that's every politician's dream, isn't it, James? It's remarkable stuff. I know we talked about this last month, but it just is it is just overwhelming when you hear stuff like that in terms of, you know, how unprecedented that is in views of views of politicians. I mean, just before um, that lady said that um she was she was really bemoaning the entire political class and then she swung on to rishi sunak so you know it wasn't that i prompted about rishi sunak you know she really just did arrive there herself so i think you know it really is it really is very rare and uh clearly i think uh you know rishi sunak's political stock only seems to be going up um uh, rather than down well let's stick with uh rishi sunak's day job when he's not captivating the nation uh as chancellor it's obviously his job to oversee the economy, and on that at least, people were pretty gloomy. 
it's going to take years upon years upon years to recover from this. The level of borrowing is just going to be ridiculous and it's going to have to be paid off one way, like taxes or you know, cuts in spending. So not hopeful for the future. I think what worries me is that there's an expectation somehow that we can continue to, to, to fund everything, whether it be investment funding, whether it be furlough funding or everything else. We can't and we won't be able to. So we're going to have a much smaller economy with less, less taxing uh, uptake. So it's going to take us 50 years to get through this, just like the war loans and all those sorts of things. So it's not um, huge, hugely positive about the economic prospects. And there was lots, there was a, quite a long discussion in the in the focus group about uh, people worried about their jobs and long-term unemployment and how things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, you then asked them, James, about uh, their support, you know, how we might get out of this, where money might have to be found from. There seemed to be a lot of support for taxing the wealthy, high earners and tech giants to pay for more spending on the NHS. I actually do think there will, there will have to be some form call it what you like, but some form of wealth tax, um, I, I think that's inevitable. I think also that the, there'll, be, there'll be changes on self-employed national insurance uh, contributions and tax structures. Um, I'd probably say corporation taxes, you know, these massive tech companies like, like Amazon, Apple, all of those, you know, they've a lot of them have only seen their market value go up during this pandemic. So I think they should have to contribute a bit more than they already do. And also, well, I think a wealth tax as well, that the pe- people who are earning over 100 grand a year can afford to pay a bit more tax, I think. Um, I just don't think it should be the people in the lower tax bracket. So the 20 percenters, I don't think it should be them. I think it should be the, the higher net worth, the higher earners. James uh, Johnson's uh, former Down Street pollster who carried out this focus group before us. James, did you, taxing rich people who aren't like me, is that basically a perennial of these focus groups? It is It is to an extent. And certainly uh, when we were doing research into whether, you know, when we thought we might have to raise tax to fund the NHS uh, spending increase back in 2018, um, you know, we sort of very, very much found uh, similar things to these. Of course, they don't uh, necessarily raise huge amounts of money, of course, but it's uh, it's sort of optical and, and it makes uh, it makes a big difference to how fair uh, people feel um, a, tax, a tax increase is. I do think this has become more universal over time, though, and certainly the polling bears that out, that, you know, since the start of, of the decade, you know, people have become much keener um, to see uh, tax increases like this. And it particularly matters for the Conservatives' electoral base now in, in the Red Wall. You know, their voters much more likely to want to see more government spending and higher tax. So, look, I think this is definitely something that people are going to be uh, wanting to see. Um, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they're not suggesting that all of the burden goes just on those big firms or just on those uh, higher earners. Um, they're aware of that. And actually, it's a really good corrective, some of this focus group, because a lot of people assume that, you know, voters just, uh, you know, are quite happy with all the spending splurge and they're not thinking about the consequences. Actually, pretty much everyone in this group knew that debt was going to have to be, pay up, be paid off and that there were going to be long-term consequences. Um, and equally on tax, you know, they're not suggesting that all of the, that all of the tax burden should go on these firms. All they want is, it to, to be, is for it to feel fair and for the higher owners to pay a little bit more than they do. So I think, you know, if, if, if number 10, if the government were able to come to a position like that in the longer term, I think they would suddenly see their reputation really quite improving amongst voters like ours in this focus group. Uh, no, obviously, we shouldn't leave out the other parties. Let's hear what the focus group had to say about the Lib Dems. 
Lib Dems, um, well, they're non-entity, aren't they? I think there's, I think it's a two-party country now. There's not there's not room for another party now. Non-winner, irrelevant. Just think they sit on the fence, wishy-washy, no leadership. Uh, yeah, just a lack of trust and faith in them. Don't know enough about them. I wouldn't ever think twice about voting for them. I have no idea who any of them are. I, I couldn't name a Lib Dem MP. Who is the leader at the moment? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Ed Davey. Oh. Ed, Ed Davey is the leader at the moment. And in fact, that chap went on to, to explain in some detail the fact that it was a joint leadership situation. You pressed them then on the on the Lib Dem leadership um, contest, uh, which I, I think it's fair to say there wasn't a huge amount of awareness of. Um, the really surprising thing about this is that it's not just that people don't pay any attention to politics. Listening to the whole focus group, they know lots of lots of... Some knew the the size of the GDP shrinkage in Italy. Others knew about uh, the size of our national debt and individual ministers and, and so on. Um, and yet the Lib Dems are just seen as not even sort of part of the universe. No, and I think this is the brutal challenge of, of having 11 MPs um, and having very few MPs for the last five years. It's so difficult to cut through for political parties like this. I mean, you mentioned that Labour HQ listened to our last focus group. I mean, I actually kind of feel sorry for Lib Dem HQ for listening to that because it's pretty brutal. And the interesting thing that is, though, is that people weren't really attacking. They didn't really have sort of strong views that there was a negative brand of the Lib Dems. They didn't sort of, you know, feel any particularly strong negative feelings towards them. They just felt they were irrelevant. And it's that challenge of being a small political party, just how you get news, how you get visibility. Because let's think about it, like, why would, you know, your average English swing voter hear anything about the Lib Dems? Why would you know who uh, Ed Davey is or Leila Moran is? Um, you know, you're, not, you're probably not really seeing any news from them. Uh, thank you so much, uh, James Johnson, there, carrying out the uh, our Times Radio focus group uh, through polling firm Kex CNC. If you want to listen back to the last one, uh, you can find that on the Red Box podcast. It's called Focus Pocus. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box too. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.